Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Friends from Work, a podcast about all things in the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's hosted by me, Kyle, and him, Robbie Earl. Um, so here's my thing, Robbie. I am 32 years old, and I still have not figured out how to correctly eat pizza rolls. I either eat them too late, and they're so lukewarm that they're really just kind of boring, or... Most of the time, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I bite into it way too early and a little piece of sauce and cheese shoots out and just melts my face off. My tongue just, is killing me today. There's literal blood on my tongue from how hot the pizza roll was. And I have no patience oh to wait God. for it to cool down. There's like such a small window there. It's so frustrating. Whoever invented them sucks. But also is a genius. <laughs> but also <laughs> get the temperature right. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> so these are the kind of, you know, important hard hitting things I'm wow. addressing here I, today. I, I didn't realize you would be coming to us from such a, a place of personal pain today. Well, every time I move my mouth, my tongue hurts. <laughs> it's just wow. pizza rolls, 32 years old. Um, <laughs> this is a really big week for us, dude. I am super Super excited about this. Not only was this episode, Fawz 5, very, very fun, and I can't wait to get into it, but this is the beginning of what we've been calling the Friends from Work, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Mega Week. Mega Week. It's kind of like Dwight Schrute's (laughs) Mega Desk a little bit. Yeah, we need Um, to edit it like an announcer voice. Yeah. For these. Mega Week, and now in the corner. Um (laughs) I think this is a fun week to do it because uh, the finale is next week. And so this was the week that we're left with a lot of questions. And lo and behold, we were. So kind of perfect timing. So here's what this entails, okay? Today is Monday, obviously. You're hearing this episode. Um, That's part of Mega Week. We can't wait for you to listen to this one. This episode is really fun to break down. Uh, But also, Tuesday night... Robbie and I are going to make ourselves available for like an AMA style thing on Instagram, I think, where you guys can kind of just ask us any questions. Let's talk. Let's hang out. We'll give a specific time for that soon, but that's tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Yep. On Thursday, this is maybe the thing we're most excited for. We have a really special episode that includes an interview from a guest you are going to love. 
And believe me when I say I can't wait to share it. So that's Thursday, <laughs> special interview. But also, all of the leftovers that we would have had in this episode, we are going to save for that episode on Thursday. So not only can we talk about an interview, but we can also get a quick refresher on any questions, any thoughts, any comments, any theories before the finale on Friday. Which also means that if you didn't have time to get any of your questions or thoughts in for this episode, you still have plenty of time. You still have a couple days, so write us in. Uh, Kyle will tell you all the ways to do that, I'm sure, in a moment. (laughs) He just gives it over (laughs) to me to do it. Okay. Uh, So it's extra important that you follow us on social media this week at the FFW Podcast and interact with us there. But also, if you don't have social media, go to the FFWpodcast.com, click contact, click that you are Bob Iger and you are suing us and send us a message (laughs) with any comments, questions, or concerns. So that we can work those in for Thursday's episode. And then on Friday, the finale of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is here, which kind of makes me sad, too, because it's already over, which is crazy because I was kind of lukewarm on it before we started. And now here I am bummed that we're wrapping it up. Uh, Nothing lasts forever. Nothing lasts forever to make that finale special. Look, if you just can't avoid spoilers and you want to watch the episode when it comes out at three in the morning, you can do that. I highly recommend it. Great. But for those of you who are interested in this, Robbie and I are going to wait to watch it until 7.30 p.m. Central Time on Friday night. Friday night, 7.30 p.m. Central Time. We will hit play exactly at 7.30 p.m. and watch it together. So if any of you want to watch it at the exact same time as us, we may post a couple pictures or live tweets of the episode You can follow us, like I said, on social media and interact with us there, but watch it with us at 7.30 p.m. Central Time on Friday night, and then immediately following the episode, we will hop on Instagram Live at the FFW Podcast to just hang out with you guys and kind of spend a few minutes discussing what we just saw and what the future of the MCU is. I think that will be a blast, and we can't wait to do that with you guys. So 7.30 p.m. Central on Friday. Wow, Cal, now you got me excited for Mega Week. Mission accomplished then. Hopefully everyone (laughs) out there is excited for Mega Week. So don't forget, follow us on social media, subscribe to our podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts, and subscribe to us on YouTube because if you liked the interview episode but you want to see it visually, that is up there on YouTube at the FFW Podcast starting Thursday. Okay, so quickly before we dive into the actual episode, I promise that we're going to save most of our leftovers for Thursday, but we still have our community question of the week. And this week, it is from our friend Connor. Okay? Wow. Would you rather, Robbie, see The Falcon and the Winter Soldier Season 2 or a new Captain America film? Ooh. Good question, Connor. Um, I think that I would, I think I would prefer a new Captain America film. I think I would too. And that's why I loved this question. He actually gives some explanation why he thinks it'd be interesting too. But this brings up the larger discussion of film versus TV. Right. We used to only have film. Now we have these series and I've talked a lot about, is that going to change how we feel about the movies? And I think that two shows into this, and this could change, it does feel like 
they are using the shows to really dive into like the intrapersonal relationships and the development of the characters right. to then supplement the movies. Right. Which I think I really enjoy. And so I agree with Connor's take in that this show has been really, really fun diving into the nitty gritty of Sam and Bucky. But now I think it'd be fun now that we have that background to see Sam in like a full fledged film. Yeah. I'm, you know, obviously we'll have to see how this next episode goes, but it it really does feel kind of like what we talked about with, um, you know, the, the potential for this being for Sam, kind of what WandaVision was for for Wanda. Like, it feels like, especially with the way this this episode five ends, that they're kind of setting it up uh, in a way where I think a Sam Wilson Captain America movie would be very much warranted and one that I would be super excited about. I want to add one other thing. I don't think this would follow any kind of comics, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it'd be fun if they slightly found a a way to tweak the name Captain America for him. Oh, is that yeah. possible? I know I, I want him to be Captain America, but is there a distinguishable difference? Like if they make Captain America, I don't want it to be Captain America four or like, could you call it? I don't know what, well, something else. Like, could he have a slight tweak to the name to be like, Oh, that's Sam's Captain America. Mm, yeah. I mean, that's always an interesting question because even in the comics, you know, um, I, I want to say that the comic was called Sam Wilson, Captain America, and the same thing like okay. Miles Morales, Spider-Man, um, to kind of differentiate. Right. So, yeah, I could see them doing something like that. Although I feel like that would – I could I could also see that kind of cutting against the power of him really stepping into those Being shoes. Ca- yeah. You know? <laughs> Yeah, because because there's also, you know, one thing that I'm excited to talk about from this episode, I I feel well, I'll get to that in a second. But I I think that that in some ways they're really exploring that, like the name and and what comes with that. And I think there would be a lot of power in reclaiming the Captain America name fully, um, in, mm. You know, in, in this particular context. But, yeah, I, I am curious to see kind of how they navigate that because this will be the first time that this is something that happens a decent amount in the comics. Um, but, yeah, it'll be the first time that, like, you have a, a another character taking up the same mantle that's already been held by someone else. I mean, we're going to have to deal with something similar in the upcoming Black Panther movies, which we sort of talked about earlier as well. For a totally different reason. Right. Okay. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode five, truth. Man. Okay. So very quickly, um, this episode has has largely the same cast return, although I do want to highlight, if we didn't before, Carl Lumbly uh, as Isaiah Bradley. Uh, and this episode was written... I think this is the first time this this writer has showed up on the show, and I'm going to massacre this name. So if someone out there knows this, l- let me know. But Dalen Musin, Musin, I don't know. I, oh, here they come! I re- here they here's come! The Vulture circling. This is one that I, <laughs> that I really do want to get right, and I know I, I say that often, but this was my this was my favorite episode of this series, and a big part of it was the writing. Like I thought this writing 
was so on point. I talked to a couple friends of mine that felt the same way. So I would like to, I, you know, th- there's not even like a Wikipedia link for this guy. So I, I, I don't really know how to follow up a ton, but I hope that more of this shows up in the, in the series, which that leads to, to what I was going to say. And then I'll, I'll kind of let you take it away for a second, but well, he'll have to he'll have to join us on his very special guest interview type episode, and oh. then we can get his name correct. There you That's go. the first thing. There you go. I like that. Also, a very notable addition to this cast, Elaine Bennis. Uh, <laughs> true, true. That's that's a very good point. <laughs> Playing <I> was, Elaine Bennis. <laughs> yeah, we need to uh, we need to bring that up as well uh, and spend some time there <laughs> playing Elaine Bennis. Um, Kramer shows up two seconds later. <laughs> I, I, okay. This episode for me did this incredible job of giving us everything that we have asked for on this podcast. Like at least in the in the past couple of weeks, when it comes to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, like. It's just wild. Like all these questions that we were raising about, are they ever going to come back to that first scene? Like what's going to happen with Torres? Is there going to be a follow up there? What about Isaiah Bradley? Like, cause we were talking about how maybe there's so much there and are they going to be able to close all this up? And is, is some of this a remnant of, of past threads that it, they've kind of dropped and didn't totally tighten. And it's just wild to me because this episode found a way so I think pretty organically pick up all of those threads while also doing some like crazy emotional, like hardcore heavy lifting in the middle of that. So just as a whole, and we'll talk about all this in detail, I was just blown away by the quality of this one. I've been thinking a lot about has there been an MCU project thus far that has felt as grounded or or that it takes place in the real world, like Earth as we know mm. it, as much as this one. Because, like, even WandaVision, you know, WandaVision is painting, like, really real-world emotions that all humans can relate to. Mm-hmm. But you still can kind of be like, well, it takes place a little bit in a fantasy world, you know? Right, right. Uh, where there's all these other sci-fi things going on and witches and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, obviously some of the other movies like Winter Soldier, the movie is maybe up there with this too, but just the way like this episode is dealing with race issues and identity questions for Bucky. And I mean, besides the very first scene, which we'll get to of action, there was very little action. I mean, nothing about it is fantastical. Um, It just feels like almost like I'm watching a different show. So again, I guess I need to praise it like you were. Because in the same way I felt like Wanda was pushing things in a new direction, mm-hmm. this episode made me feel like, yeah, we are pushing things in a new direction. It's not the same direction as WandaVision, right. but this is like new for the MCU to go into territory this heavy. Yeah, and to do it so well, um, which you you kind of have to. Like when you're dealing with some of the issues that you just talked about, uh, if you don't deal with them correctly— then that can be like that can be a big problem and i think that the way they they the, and that that's why i'm praising the writing specifically um and obviously the performances kind of go hand in hand with that but like man yeah it was just just excellently handled 
which is especially high praise when, like you're saying, you're dealing with some of these really complex issues. Like from from my standpoint, I think it's really interesting. I, I've heard from a lot of folks on this show specifically, um, not as much online, but kind of personal friends of mine have reached out just being like, I don't dislike this show, but I'm also not crazy about it the way I was WandaVision. Like I was getting a lot of reviews from people that were just like, yeah, it's good. Like it's it's a good show, but not just like, holy cow. I'm really curious to follow up with those people after this episode because what they're now doing with these different things that they've laid down in earlier episodes, uh, to me, raises this from good to great. Hmm. I really liked it too. I That's an interesting thought. I don't want to get on this tangent, but I, I, I wonder – do you think this episode was powerful enough to change your opinion on it? Like, cause I already like, I already liked it from last episode and the one before that with, you know, with Zemo and that. Right. And then last episode we talked about how much we enjoyed it, but you're saying that you think this one was enough of a game changer that you might've been lukewarm on the show, but now you're in interesting. Yeah. I'm um, curious to hear if, if anyone has actually had that experience. And before we dive in, I just want to always give this disclaimer, Robbie, that when I come to this podcast on these kinds of days, I feel a little bit insecure talking about things that are so heavy and big picture when I don't always feel prepared. Sure. And I'm just going to approach it with sensitivity. <laughs> that's, right. that's my point. Um, you know, if it was about Captain Marvel, I could go crazy and just <laughs> go go to town here if I needed to. <laughs> or about Thor Dark World, okay? It's um, your wheelhouse. Yeah, no doubt. It's right in my wheelhouse. Okay, dude, I have been asking for Marvel and the MCU to go a little darker and grittier for months on this podcast. I've yeah. brought that up many times. And this is what I meant, Robbie. This show in general is what I meant. And the first scene where Walker is struggling with what he just did, but then the fight that it leads to, mm-hmm. not only the emotional impact there, Right. But that's the kind of visual I've been wanting. Not that I'm some gore fest guy, <laughs> but like the actual breaking of his arm was something we haven't seen in the MCU. Yeah. That was pretty grotesque. Like they don't they don't go that route usually. Right. But specifically, I think that's the kind of stuff I was a little bit lacking from Killmonger. Like uh-huh. that's that was a little bit more the vibe I wanted. Um yeah. and so the only time that the action felt weird to me was episode two, when I complained mm-hmm. about it on top of the semi trucks, right. which is so weird because if you remember, we paused at that moment. We said, I hope this is just like an aberration, like the CGI guy was on vacation. <laughs> Apparently he was because everything else has felt really, really great. And this action scene in the beginning, like I was captivated Same. not only by how gritty, how violent and like raw it felt, uh-huh. the emotion, the fighting, all of that. But yes, yeah, some of the intensity of the scenes, I mean, John Walker literally looked like he was going to choke out or chop off Sam's head. Right. Right. I this is the first time in this show or or maybe in in this whole Disney Plus era that I had to pause <laughs> I kept having to pause to like shout things at Candace because I was just like <laughs> having these like visceral reactions to these moments uh in this episode. And yeah, I mean like this whole at like I, I, it was like these, they, the, the drama that they infused into this choreography, like where it really does feel like there's this whole 
like these little mini arcs playing just through that action scene. I mean, it's a pretty long action scene. Uh, but yeah, this man. is also the only episode ever where we happened to hit play at the exact same time. And we both actually <laughs> paused it to text each other 10 minutes in, which has That's never true. happened. That's never true. happened. Which again, but I was yes, like, this is unbelievable. To- I got to call you for a exactly. second. <laughs> and of course, like the, the Jackman civil war theme, which is heavy through a lot of this episode, uh, different parts of that theme, but there, man, like, and, you know, yep. we've talked a bit about this, but the way that this scene specifically mirrors that end fight between Iron Man and Cap and Bucky in Civil War with that music uh, was just really, it, it was really powerful and it kind of elevated the tragedy of it all. Yeah, not to beat this to death, just really quickly again, I'm going to add, this is the benefit of doing that with the themes. Like, yeah. we see Zemo, we hear the... And then you get to this and you hear the Civil War theme, which obviously rep- represents sadness. Like it just sounds like pure sadness. He's mixed in the Winter Soldier theme. That's the joy of having these themes, people. Thank you. Right. Okay. Uh, but I got to add one other quick tidbit. I know we've said this on this podcast before. I'm really enjoying the creative ways they are mixing in how Sam can use his wings. Oh, That's a yeah. really dumb. It's a really dumb detail. But I've kind of wondered how Sam fights on this level mm-hmm. because we've seen him fly and use his guns. Like even in Infinity War, right? He's way up in the air shooting things at people. Right. But he's not really coming down on the ground. So it's just been fun to see him use his wings to block bullets or to, in this case, like fly away while pulling John Walker's shield, like Spider Man kind of almost with a grapple. Right. And I don't know, tiny yeah. detail, but really enjoyed that. I, one thing that, no, I, first I totally agree. Uh, even to the point of the, the arm breaking is kind of him using the jet there. Um, yep. I, one thing that I noticed here is the way that, that Walker keeps saying, I am Captain America. Uh, right. And there are a couple, there are a couple things there that I think are just worth mentioning. I think most people, uh, like even Candace, this like, you know, rung the bell in her mind of, you know, I am Iron Man, which I think everyone probably had, had that thought, which is cool. And just another, another fun way of them playing really like this show just much more than I expected has kind of been an avenue for, for playing in the sandbox of the MCU as we know it, just like pulling out some elements in ways that you wouldn't expect. Um, and just kind of creating some fun and, and meaningful moments. And, And because the other side of that, that I think is interesting is going back to the conversation we had several weeks ago about, you know, Captain America versus Steve Rogers. And even, even a conversation we had back in our uh, civil war and infinity war episodes, because if you think about it, I don't, I don't think that I can recall a specific moment when Steve, I did after the first Avenger, when Steve identifies himself as Captain America. We have been doing this podcast too long. Cancel it. Just cancel it. <laughs> I thought that was like my revolutionary thought. How in the world did you think the same thing as me? <laughs> I immediately went back to that too. He's, you know, John Walker is so aggressively yelling. Right. I am Captain America with like a blood curdling scream and blood on his face. And he's about to, you know. Right. I started thinking, I don't think I've ever seen Steve do that. I'm trying to think. And then I thought, well, he probably has said I'm Captain America in the very first Captain America when he's like selling bonds. Right. Um, you know, all that. But I think that's it, though. He, yeah, even then, I don't even remember him being like, I mean, people will say, hey, Captain America's here. But he never even says like, that's right. I am. I am Cap. 
Right. And I always thought that was such a unique difference between him and Tony, right? Tony mm. was so proud that he was Iron Man. That's true. And, That's true. And now here's this guy struggling with this identity, which, by the way, I think right here is a perfect time to also tie in. You know, last week we talked about in the comics, one way they combated this serum thing was to give the serum a catch, yeah. a little hang up. <laughs> we do have all the same notes here. I love this. Uh, unbelievable. I swear we don't talk about those people ahead <laughs> of time. <laughs> this is the first time I'm talking about it. But did you notice that too? Like, it seems yeah. like that's the route they're starting to go now. Also with Isaiah later, I'll get into one second, but this yeah. is clearly like a John Walker that is not himself. They even yeah. say that. And I know that the serum does enhance things that are already in you, but I don't think John Walker inherently was this bad of a dude. Yeah, like, he wasn't this like is psychotic. Like, it's, he's, he's like poisoned. Right. It's like taking him over. Um, which could be a foreshadowing of how they're going to explain away the serum, theoretically, yeah, like yeah, we said. I was, I was thinking that. Well, and and it's, you know, to some extent kind of mirrored in some of the stuff we've talked about with Carly, right? Where it's like she is pushing yes. it further and further. Well, and I got to also say that Isaiah in this episode referenced that they tried five different serums or whatever it was on his team and mm -hmm. that other people had side effects or died or whatever. He hinted that in that conversation. So again, right. that's another part of it. Where it's like, there's some other hang up with the serum. Right. So anyways, I love how they're portraying that it is uh, like poison. It's almost like the one ring to rule them all. It, it yeah. feels like it's poisoning his mind. Yeah. Um, and we don't just see that in the beginning here, but you get a lot of glimpses of it later in the episode too. Right. I, I also, I loved in this, in this scene too, um, one, I like that after kind of all this conversation in the past couple episodes about the shield, uh, from, you know, Bucky to Sam and, and kind of what that meant that after this fight, Bucky grabs the shield, but then just drops it at Sam's feet and walks out. Like there was something so cool about that moment where it's like, after all of their kind of bickering, he doesn't just take it because, and you can imagine that where he's like, well, last time like Sam had it, he just turned it in and now we got into this mess. Um, but I like that he knows that it still belongs to Sam. Like it's, it's kind of his responsibility in some ways. Um, and it's his, you know, inheritance and others. But regardless, I thought that that was a cool moment, which gave way to, to one of my favorite uh, shots from this whole show, which is uh, Sam, you know, literally trying to wipe the blood off the shield. Yeah. So much imagery there. One last note on John Walker before we move on. Um, it's fascinating to me how much time we have spent on this Falcon and Winter Soldier coverage talking about John Walker. Yeah. When the trailer came out, I totally thought he was just going to be some side character that I cared about Bucky and I cared about Sam and I wanted them to remove this other guy from the equation. And I don't care for John Walker, but I find myself caring about what happens to him. Yeah. And yeah. That's a not great that I'm cheering for him, but we have spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about him. I've noticed we've started a lot of episodes talking about him. He has inserted himself as a major player in this show. Right. And if you were questioning, could Wyatt Russell play it well before mm -hmm. this episode to me 
cemented like he's giving a good performance here. As soon as he gets his arm broken and we go to the next scene in the trial, you feel for him a little bit. And then that's where you see that anger again come out, like his mind's being poisoned. But I, I mean, he's playing it in such a way that I know we want to kill him and I know we don't like him. And when John Walker says to Bucky, um, you don't want to do this. And he says, yeah, we do. Right. I get that that's the overall feeling, right. but they're doing a pretty good job and his performance is doing a good job of still making me hurt a little bit when he's at that Senate meeting. Man, I, yeah, no, I felt that. And it, it just, it sucks because this is a guy that obviously has dedicated his life uh, to doing what he thought was right, to serving his country. And on some level, you know, it's it's always felt a bit like he's been used and kind of touted out as a as a mascot. And so now, yeah, I mean, clearly he deserves what he's getting. I mean, he he murdered a man. Um but at the same time, you understand his frustration because he had hesitancy about this stuff from the beginning. Like that's what makes it so hard in those flashbacks he's having with Hoskins to where, you know, all of his insecurities in a lot of ways are now really like coming, coming to fruition true. in the yeah materializing in the in the worst ways and what sucks about it is that this senator who we're finally kind of getting more of a spotlight on especially later in this episode is sort of they avoiding, don't care about him yeah and and avoiding all responsibility for the fact that right. he's kind of the one that put him in the situation so it it sucks that now he's just being not only like stripped of the captain america stuff but again probably rightly um you know, dishonorably discharged and right. stripped of any kind of recognition or benefit. So it's it really is like everything that he's kind of built his life around, including his best friend and partner, uh, all of that's now gone. The, the other thing in this scene that I thought was interesting as we're talking about his I am Captain America lines, um, you know, here he says – to the senator, you built me, I am Captain America. And what's interesting about even that that contrast between, you know, him saying that and Steve not saying that is in some ways, like, I, <laughs> I took it, especially on my second watch, as less him being like, no, 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 you can't take this from me, I am Captain America, and more just this kind of observation that, like, what I am, what you've made me into, like even what I am now with the serum and him being so hyper aggressive, like I am Captain America. Like I represent your America. Like I, you can't, you can't remove that from me because like that is now, like I am now the symbol reflecting the truth. Yeah, now of what you're America uncomfortable is. with it. Yeah. Hence the name truth. There's a lot of truth here. Right. Um, this is where I say it gets real heavy. Again, I don't I'm not trying to sympathize with John Walker because he shouldn't have done what he's done. I don't like him and I think he's over aggressive and I think he represents things that we don't want to stand for as a country. Right. Both in real life and in the show. But in that scene, I think it's so well written because from his perspective, he did. He donated his life to the military. He's decorated in awards for what he's done in his service, then mm-hmm. he has chosen to be Captain America, where, in from his perspective, all he has done is try to track down the people that are killing people right. and try to stop them. And then when he went in there to stop them, right, 
He didn't go in there to kill Carly. He mm-hmm. goes in there to take her in. It leads to a fight where they get attacked and his best friend is killed, his partner. And he wasn't killing anybody at the time. Then in a, a, a fit of insecurity, he takes the serum and in a fit of rage, he does kill a dude that didn't directly kill Hoskins but is a part of this movement. Right. And it's awful and you should not do that. But then he goes back and because of that decision, everything they've made him, he is now cast aside. We don't want you anymore. And yeah, it just brings up that harsh reality of what their truth is, you know, from the government's perspective versus from his perspective. Right. No, And he's even trying to clarify. Again, this is really heavy stuff, but it it is fascinating to get into. I mean, and and it's interesting that Walker feels the need to tell others and and to tell himself that the man he killed is the one who killed Hoskins. Um, however, it's also clear, especially from the end credit scene, that he doesn't really believe that and that, you know, as long as Carly is out there, he can't really rest with that lie. Like, he has to make that lie true, that he killed the person that killed his partner. It's so ring of power feeling when the thing that sets him off in that first fight is that Sam says, give me the shield. It's like when you right. ask for the ring, that's what he snaps. <laughs> it's my shield. That's true. Definitely a lot of mind poisoning going there. Okay. I called you because what <laughs> the heck? We need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. He exits the room and he's sitting there talking with his wife and what the heck? Julia Louise Dreyfus shows up. Now, on oh so many gosh. levels, this is wild. First of all, she's a big enough actress that how do they keep this stuff hidden? Oh, this yeah. is like this is a little bit on the level of Matt Damon showing up in Thor Ragnarok when we had no yeah. idea. Or actually even Matt Damon showing up in Interstellar, too. Somehow right. <laughs> Hollywood has this ability to take to the biggest names and hide them. I didn't know Don Cheadle or Julia Louise Dreyfus yeah. was going to be in this show. And that's really, really fun, by the way. Now, plot-wise, oh, yeah. by the way, Robbie, sorry, I got to say this. It's just kind of fun to have this level of actors constantly show up in this. You know, whenever yeah. you think it's like, oh, it's just a little mini series, you're reminded, oh, no, Marvel does have the pull and the budget to do what they want. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's so funny because, I mean, first off, I, I love... Love Julie Louise Dreyfus. Uh, Candace Elaine and I Bennis, finally... man. Seinfeld fan right here. I'm <laughs> well, diehard Seinfeld fan. And Veep. I mean, Candace and I have finally gotten a chance to go through that, and we're about halfway through. And, man, she, yeah, she's just a genius. And I never, I, it, it's funny because we were so misled by Paul Bettany in WandaVision that we were yes. expecting something to show up there, someone to show up there, at this level, and it's funny that it's Falcon Winter Soldier that give. And I know there was a little bit of chatter about this, um, but uh, I don't feel like it was nearly to the degree that it was with with WandaVision. But this one, really, man, what a fun cameo, and what a significant one. I mean, I say cameo, but I, I think that this is going yes. to lead okay. into some serious stuff. Let's talk about this. First of all, Tuesday night when we do our Ask Me Anything, if any Seinfeld fans are out there, let's hang out on Tuesday night and just talk about (laughs) Seinfeld. You can message me anything you want about Seinfeld. And Friday night, maybe we can talk more Seinfeld on the Instagram Live. Love it. Let's just Um, watch Seinfeld Friday night. (laughs) No, I do love Seinfeld, (laughs) but I got to see what happens here. I read an article, Robbie. I think it was on Variety or Vulture. I think it was Variety. Sorry, 
both of you companies. Uh, I read an article <laughs> that said that she was originally supposed to be in Black Widow. I heard that. Then when it got like reorganized the timeline and pushed back, they got her in this show. But remember last week or two weeks ago when we were discussing the power broker and I said, if it's going to be somebody notable, mm-hmm. then they're going to have to be around for a while. That was exactly what I said my theory. I'm thinking the fact that they introduced her this late, even if she's not the power broker, I don't think you introduce a character like that as a cameo for one episode. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I, th- and- I think she might be around in other movies and series for a while. I could be way off. Right. Um, I mean, I, I don't know how much you looked into this, um, but so in, in, the, in the comics, um, Contessa is known best for being Madame Hydra. Yeah. Uh, which I did could my have, research could could have huge implications for the MCU in general because first and foremost does that mean that there is still some form of hydra out there or does that just mean that you know maybe again you know we never know how the MCU is going to going to extrapolate this stuff um, or is it just setting up what we've always been asking for? Right. Which is like a political behind the scenes type Sinister Six type villain. Which, I mean, it is, yeah. I mean, and it, I think it absolutely is doing that. If nothing else, which you're right. That is exactly I'm saying what even going forward, not just yeah. this show. No, totally. I mean, I think that there, she has this line where she says, you know, I, I'll, let me tell you a little dirty state secret. So, I mean- there is this understanding. We don't know, you know, the car doesn't have anything on it. We don't know exactly what her position is. We don't know if she's connected to... Is she to, the power broker? I, I don't, I don't know. I, to me, I'm, I'm so thrown a bit because she is her own character. You know, she could be the power broker. They could be separate people. Part of me thinks that if that was going to be the reveal that that would have been, like, the reveal in and of itself, if you know what I mean, like, in the finale. Like, instead of being like, oh, look, it's Julia Louise-Dreyfus, who is Madame Hydra, and then the next episode would be like, and also the power broker. It seems like it would be more dramatic to do all of those reveals in one, right? And Sharon was sketchy in this episode again. So, I mean, we Sharon's not not the power broker (laughs) at this point. Yeah, I... I love it, right? Because I really don't know how it's going to go. Um, I will say on, on the Sharon point, uh, just because I'm I'm worried this is going to be one of those things that I say we'll circle back to and then forget to. Um, I am willing, you know, I'm going to make a statement here that I may retract depending on how it's executed in the in the final episode. Right now, if Sharon is the power broker, which it seems a lot of folks online are, are leaning in that direction. I think I would be a little let down by that, not because of any kind of expectation for that character or because of her comic iteration, but more just in terms of that, like that reveal, since it seemed like there's been something sketchy going on. And since we now find out, especially in this episode, that she is connected with like Batrock and, through Batrock to the Flag Smashers, I think sort of like what we're talking about, like if if like Contessa is the power broker, it would be a little bit strange to have a reveal before the reveal. You know what I mean? Interesting. See, I, I'm not bothered by if that is the reveal or not. 
are you saying you're bothered that people could guess it? Like no. if next if next episode they say Sharon is the power broker straight up, that's a letdown because of the reveal, the lack of a reveal. I guess I'm saying the pacing would feel strange to me. Like it, it would feel a little. See, not to me. The thing the thing for me that would feel like a letdown because I think I'd be a little disappointed maybe. And like you, I'm hesitating to say that. I think what feels weird for me is what we talked about last week where just it seems like maybe too extreme of a departure for the character. Like I get that she's jaded, but she's gone from like the most rule-following CIA, Captain America love interest, kind, helpful person to, I mean, she's the one that stands up for Captain America and Winter Soldier like in the government. Like she puts her life on the line to fight for it. I get that. I get that she's jaded, but that seems like a long ways to go to move to a other country and become like this crazy powerful. Maybe I'm wrong. I guess the, the reason I see what you're saying. And, and I think that that, unless they handle that in a certain way, um, would, I would have some issues with that too. I think the reason I'm harping on the reveal is not so much that it's that important to me to always have these like hyper dramatic reveals. Although I think we've always praised Marvel for moments like Pierce and Winter Soldier and Mysterio and Far From Home and how well some of those things can be done. The reason why I think I would be a little bit disappointed here is they have intentionally set that up as a mystery for these episodes to say, like, who is the power broker? So for them to to foreshadow that so clearly by being like, look, this character that you thought was good is actually bad and doing stuff. And then the next episode be like, and she's the power broker would just feel like a little anticlimactic. Is it only so clear because we have a podcast and we, we obsess over and talk about it so much. Like I don't, if you're a casual viewer, is that a really obvious conclusion to draw? Actually, by the way, I don't need to get into that longer. Let us know what you think. Like, is that, would that be a disappointment or not? I'd love to hear that. Yeah. We'll, we'll let the listeners settle that one. Um, Because there's still a ton to get into. The next scene that kind of pops up, that like the next big thing on my radar was the Zemo scene where he goes back to the Sokovia Memorial. I have two things I want to say here. Mm -hmm. Um, First of all, there's so much going on with Zemo and Bucky that I love. There's There's a dynamic here that's something like we've never seen. I feel like in that subtle scene, first of all, there's the dynamic of Bucky is proving that he is fully over like Zemo's control or the winter soldier control by I'm turning you in. I'm not killing you. Like, right. But then I feel like there's this dynamic of like Zemo, first of all, would have been content with Bucky shooting him. There's like a little look of like, I think he was ready to go see his family at the Memorial and a little bit of disappointment that he wasn't going to die there, which is dark. But I think there's a little bit of that. But then I also think there's a little bit of, like, going back to when Sam says, if you don't like super soldiers, what about Bucky? And Zemo kind of, like, doesn't answer that and, like, hesitates. And then seeing this here, it's almost like he's, I I can't even believe I'm saying this because it's Zemo, but it's almost like he's proud of him for the way he's handled it. Almost like a weird father-son relationship or something. I don't know. There's a lot going on there. No, I, I felt that too. And and also just the performances in the scene and the, the writing for Zemo in the scene um, to, to me called to mind kind of some of his strongest moments in Civil War. Uh, 
yeah, I just thought it was, I thought that this was a, a great scene and a really interesting, like, like you're talking about follow up on the relationship that they've had going back to the Civil War film. But also, like, speaking of Civil War, um, you know, we find out that Zemo is being sent off to the raft. Yeah. Um, which raises kind of two questions for me. One, I'm curious if this is truly the end of Zemo in this series. I, I certainly don't yep. think it's the end of Zemo in the MCU. I really thought, and and that's one of the reasons why I really like sort of the things that this episode does with our expectations. I thought that this was going to be kind of just a way, this series, of getting Zemo back on the board so that he's out mm. and doing stuff. So that my question that I have written down uh-huh. is, were you a little bit let down by the end of his arc? So, I one, I'm not sure if it's truly the end of his arc. Um, Me either. But in some ways, I, I in some ways maybe, but I think the fact that I was expecting it to go one way and it went the other, like that always kind of makes me happy. Um, you know, whenever I convince myself that the story is going to march down a certain path and it takes a different path, um, that's when I end up enjoying stuff like this. And so I... I it's a little strange that he's gone full circle back to prison. I have a feeling that we'll follow up on that either in the finale or that feels like something that would that would definitely factor into a post-credits scene in the finale. Um, but the other thing that, that it, it made me question, and I think that you brought this up in a different context a few episodes ago, but just thinking about the raft, isn't it? Isn't it interesting that given everything that's gone on um, and given the kind of international quality of it and the fact that we have super soldier kind of enhanced folks in the mix again, doesn't it seem like Secretary Ross would be heavily involved in all this stuff? Like, where is Ross? A lot of people have messaged us that. But it was originally from the context of, is Ross the power broker, which he could be. Yeah, I, but I, I remember also, seeing some chatter about that. Right, which I don't know if, even if he's not, it would make sense that he would be around in some of this. Especially given that we know, you know, he's supposed to have a, a decent-sized role in Black Widow, which chronologically would take place prior to Infinity War. But But thinking about, like, release order, it would be a little strange... For, the, for Black Widow to have come out and really highlighted Ross and hmm. then come, you know, like then go straight to a show like this where it would seem like he would have, and, and it can't be that anything happens in Black Widow that would make him not a player because we already know right. that in Infinity War, he played a pretty significant role in what was going on, at least at the right. very beginning. I wonder if there will be a scene at all in Black Widow, by the way, of a flash forward, like to current time, like when they hmm. filmed it. Like, will there be any bouncing back of time or will the entire movie take place as her origin story? Or will a post credit scene maybe even be full yeah, in time and teasing something? That's a good question. Um, on the letdown front, you know, it's really interesting for me. I struggled with this this week. Um, I think on one hand, I felt like they were building up Zemo through these last few episodes to be like a major player in this story that he hmm. would stay out of prison going forward or that he would end it by dying or something would really significantly happen to him because mm -hmm. they really poured into his character with the cultured stuff we talked about and the money and him dancing and all this stuff. Right. 
And so that was a little bit of a letdown that's like, oh, he's just going to prison. On the other hand, I was struggling with this because I always like it when these shows and movies do a good job of making things feel real and believable. And so the same person who had a complaint about, wow, it was so easy for Zemo to break out of the highest maximum security prison. How could that be so easy? That person should be pleased with the very practical end to his story in the show, which mm-hmm. is it would make sense that, I mean, he's not a super soldier, right? Like at some point, his wittiness or jokerness or, or resources should run out. He's a human being to where they catch him. And the logical then right. conclusion is not going to be that they kill him. They're going to send him back to prison. And it makes right. sense that Wakanda would do it. Like I'm struggling with like, yeah, I kind of wish it was a little more because the Zemo fan in me and the superhero movie-ness of me thinks it'd be fun to have him around and pulling the strings. Yeah. On the other hand, the practicalness of me is like, no, this makes the most sense. <laughs> like he can only finagle his way out of so many situations. Right. And and we've been shown like th- that the Dora Milaje is, you know, th- they are sort of this unstoppable force. Uh, and so to me, there's a little bit of a, of a wrestling there of like, I don't want, like it would sort of seem to belittle IO for them to not be able to, to catch Find up. Him. With Zemo, like I like the idea that, like they go out on a mission to get him, and and between them and Bucky can reclaim him, and then it gives him room to later pop back up on the scene without it having like this show. If if they don't do anything else with Zemo, which by the way I want to go on the record saying, I I think I, they will. I think they will at least a little bit more. Um, but but then you're gonna be let down if he just gets broken out of prison again. Anyways, I, don't get into that. But. I think I will. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I might be if that's the end of this. Yeah, if he just get breaks out again. But I feel like there will be something else kind of interesting. But I was just gonna say, yeah, I, I think that they have found a way to again, kind of like Sam and and with Wanda, um, take this character that we thought we already had the origin story for uh, and flesh that out. And made it to where now I think Zemo, however he shows up again, now doesn't show up as the guy from Civil War. Like now he shows up as like a fully fledged, like he's got a backstory, his motivations are really crystallized, his methods are now recognizable. So I think that it's just done some really interesting character work. And really anywhere that he goes from here, uh, I'll just be even more interested in. Okay, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. This is going to be a long episode, okay? I apologize for that. There's a lot to get to. The very next scene we get into was one of the more powerful scenes we've ever had in the MCU, Mm -hmm. which is Sam, after that whole drama with John, takes the shield and takes it back to Isaiah because he needs to know more about what happened there. And that leads to just some incredible dialogue, some really heavy character lifting being done here for a good 10 minutes of the show where Isaiah goes into his whole background of why he feels the way he does about the shield and what happened to his team. So first of all, plot wise, like I said, we got some good work here because we find out that yes, he was tested on with different serums. That's why there may be a catch in the serum. And then he kind of became a criminal by saving his team. And so we learned what happened to him plot-wise. Yeah, I, I, so I wanted to say first off, this 
this really does closely follow the story from that Truth, Red, White, and Black comic that we talked about, the comic from which this episode clearly takes its name, at least in some degree. Um, Isaiah's story here also, though, um, it, it mirrors darkly uh, Steve's own. You know, like, they both disobeyed orders and went behind enemy lines to save fellow soldiers, except in First Avenger, Steve comes back and there's that moment whenever, you know, he submits himself for disciplinary action and is, you know, let off because he's a hero. And it's this whole idea that, like, that's kind of the the start of him becoming Captain America in a lot of ways. By contrast, Isaiah does the same thing, comes back, and is thrown in jail for 30 years. I want to also add that I would absolutely love to hear from our black friends out there about how this scene has hit you guys. Yes. Um, because I loved it. Yeah. The show itself is very obviously painting this juxtaposition of views, Robbie. You have, you have Isaiah, who has gone through hell and does not deserve any of it. And he is very, very bitter mm-hmm. because of that. And he has chosen to hide, to just live out his life with what he has and... That's what he's going to do because he's bitter about it. I mean, you get lines from Sam where he literally says, don't do the bitter old man thing to me. Um, and then yeah. Sam, in hearing that, you have the other side of you sympathize for Isaiah really you know, strongly, hence even like right. the scars and stuff, right? And it sucks. Right. And Sam says, if I was in Isaiah's shoes, I'd probably feel the same way. But then the show is also saying there's another side of it which kind of comes out in that bitter old man comment, but also in Sam deciding that he still needs to fight for it. Like, okay, I feel awful for what happened, but now things are different and I can help make them different. As he literally says, he says, what would be the point of all the pain and sacrifice if I wasn't willing to stand up and keep fighting? And I think Sarah, I think is the one that kind of vocalizes like, no, we're proud of you for still fighting. And so it's just this weird, we're getting contrasting views of bitterness and because of so much pain, I'm paralyzed and I can't do anything about it versus here's another black man who's decided I'm going to go out and fight to change the world. And you see the two sides there? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think what's interesting is the show isn't really endorsing one and condemning the other. Uh, which is what I mean whenever I'm saying they're tackling some really complex things and and I think towing that line really effectively because I think, I mean, even even what Sam said, like what you just talked about, like he's saying, yeah, if I were Isaiah, I would probably feel the same way and do the same thing. But he's not Isaiah, you know, he, and, and so how do you, how do you give voice to that pain and acknowledge the again truth there uh while also recognizing like his own truth and like what he believes in and like the story that he has and what's informed his own you know i i think part of what's really interesting is we get really into the steve rogers of it all here um like it, between this conversation whenever sam's like you know steve didn't put you in jail but then from isaiah's perspective He's like, well, you know, it, it was them trying to find another another Steve um, that 
led to all of this stuff happening to me. And like, it was, if not for that, like if not with America's obsession with finding this other kind of perfect, like white man, like as he says in Steve Rogers, then he wouldn't have been subjected to what he was and he wouldn't have had to have lost his, his wife and been driven underground. And so just the ways that these two black men see Steve Rogers and what he represented so differently. Uh, well, and that's even in and of itself what's really fascinating to me is I feel like so often in our culture, these kinds of conversations would be explored with a white man and a black man. Like the yeah, white guy yeah. is having to find out about Isaiah and then decide I'm going to go fight for it. And yet here, Sam and Sarah have seen things differently than Isaiah. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. And by the way, that's one thing that I think this scene actually did better than that comic that I'm referencing, where in the comic, a lot of these reveals are being made to Steve Rogers. So it does feel a little bit like um, it, you know, I I like the comic a lot and I do endorse it. um, But there was a little bit of me that was like, this feels like slightly paternalistic in, in the way that Steve Rogers is then kind of coming to like, you know, endorse Isaiah and give him his blessing in this in this particular way that felt, to me, a little bit less fulfilling than this kind of conversation, like what you're talking about, where, you know, Sam specifically, obviously, like not just as a as a black man, but yeah, like as someone who has been so close to the original kind of hero that was Captain America, um, and yeah, like which. That conversation with Sarah is so great, and and a lot of the Louisiana moments are so great because you can see Sam kind of wrestling with, like, what version of himself and, like, which narratives within his own life are the ones that are going to win out. Or, you know, are they both leading and ultimately in kind of one direction and and manifestation that is him being Captain America. Well, and Sarah even says, are you going to let that one conversation with Isaiah Bradley get to your head? Like talk about a contrasting view on the same topic. You know what I'm saying? Directly from Sarah's mouth. Uh, That, that line from Isaiah uh, that was clearly sitting with Sam that I just thought was so powerful. Um, They will never let a black man be Captain America. And even if they did, no self-respecting black man would ever want to be. Uh, it's just, I, I think right, going and that's to where I, even, That's where I feel his pain like crazy, but that's not yeah. necessarily fair for Sam. Because I do think Sam could be Captain America. Right, well, and I think he, you know, it, it looks as though he's yeah. choosing that. Well, um, and then, and, and I again, think, that's what I'm saying. The show is saying both sides because... I don't know if you caught this really right. quick visual, but when Sam is training again, they they very intentionally show a shot of uh, Sam's nephew like mesmerized and awed by the shield as yeah. he touches it. And I think I they showed that. that to show that even though everything Isaiah said was truth, this still meant something to Sam's nephew. Again, just yeah. both sides no, there. That's such a, yeah, I'm so glad you brought that up. And, and even like, one thing I noticed that I didn't notice in the earlier episodes uh, as much, but, you know, just the idea of them calling him Uncle Sam, 
is really fun. Like, yeah, it's just, but here, you know, especially as he's like carrying the shield and, and training, um, it is really interesting because it's not like that the character was named that way for that reason. Um, but the connections there. Yeah, I, I think, I just think that line that, that I referenced earlier about no self-respecting black man ever wanting to be like, I do feel like that is going to stick with Sam uh, in the way that he approaches this identity and really inform what it is. Like, I think, I think maybe the, the really interesting thing is, is Isaiah is thinking of being Captain America as Sam basically playing Steve Rogers, right? right? Like him putting on the Steve Rogers costume, which I think in that sense, he's absolutely right. I think what Sam is thinking is that it's not that it's that him, like he is making a new identity. Like he's reforming the idea of what Captain America is. And that's a different thing. Another thing this show has done really well is they've showed us that Sam's tendency, his immediate gut reaction is to want to fix everything. Remember that? Like the bank, mm, right. the boat, all the stuff. What's interesting is he's listening to that conversation from Isaiah and what's his first reaction, his first words he says. He says, we got to do something. We got we to yes. tell somebody like Sam wants to fix it. Then he goes on to have a conversation with Sarah where he actually admits, I can't fix everything. I can't win every battle, which I thought was a really earned conversation because they've given us these yeah. glimpses of Sam trying to do it. But in yeah, a I remember, way- Yeah, you pointed that out in the first episode. Right, but now in a way- he's kind of taking on this weight of trying to fix that part of a black Captain America, kind of. You know, mm, so I, the, I'm, yeah. I'm fascinated to see how they handle Sam's character if he becomes Captain America going forward now because he has the weight of that Isaiah conversation in his mind, but also mixed with this tendency of, I want to fix these things. I want to do something. Mm -hmm. And I, that's something I'm genuinely interested to follow. Seriously. Yeah. Well, one thing that I also thought was interesting as, as we're kind of talking about Sam posturing himself for the next phase, um, we, we kind of breezed by this earlier, but it's really interesting that in the aftermath of that battle with Walker, whenever he you know, tears his wings off, breaks his wings, however you want to say it. Um, and he's having that conversation with Torres, which again, you know, talking about kind of connecting all of these dots from the prior episodes, uh, that that conversation ends with, you know, Sam walking off with the shield and leaving the wings with Torres. And we talked in that very first episode about how in the comics, whenever Sam does become Captain America, Joaquin Torres becomes the next Falcon. And they're clearly kind of playing, either setting that up or just it's it's a little nod to comics fans. But I would I would guess the former. It, it seems like uh, we know now that Joaquin knows sort of how the tech works. He's someone that's experienced, and and I think we could definitely see him kind of taking that up in some way. But I bring that up not just to follow up on the Walking Torres thing, but there is there's a reason why Sam leaves those, I think, um, and feels like, you know, it it for and this is, you know, that moment is before the Isaiah 
conversation, but I think that there is this sense after everything that's happened with Walker that whatever happens moving forward, it's going to be a new, a new chapter. Like it's like Sam is not going to be able to just carry forward as the Falcon anymore. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. No doubt. Um, I thought the last big takeaway was the tonal shift from that heavy of a scene with Isaiah and the stuff before that with Walker to now they're back in Louisiana working on the boat and Bucky showing up. So that's the last thing I want to talk about. Uh First of all, it was a breather as far as tone goes, which was kind of nice. But I absolutely loved the chemistry here between Sam and Bucky in particular. That's uh, okay. Come on. That is literally word for word. (laughs) Well, and I think it was important that I brought it up because I had complained about this being a little bit forced feeling early on. Yeah. But again, it was only in like the first episode and I felt like every episode since then has, has gotten better. And now I'll say exactly what you predicted happening happened. That is, by the time they did kind of make amends like they did in this episode, it did feel earned. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So by the time we mm-hmm. got to this kind of hanging out, I was like, okay, that makes sense. We've put in the work of them bickering and we've gotten to this point. On another note, I just want to say there was a lot of lighthearted fun things here. I loved Bucky flirting with right. Sarah and how funny that was. And I loved every time he <laughs> yeah, smiled at her, too. Sam would look at him like, are you kidding me? I liked Bucky staying overnight and sleeping on a couch, not on the floor, and waking up happy, not... Did you notice that? There was, like, that little parallel of, like, he could actually sleep and rest. And then... Well, and that moment of him watching the kids play with the shield, I think, was huge. And it was very kind of reminiscent, I thought, of waking up in Wakanda to the kids looking at him, being like, aha, and playing around. Wow, yeah. um, So I, I, I just loved all of that work. I liked this quick little breather we got of both of them going back to their roots, right? Bucky making amends and then Sam going back to his family going, you know what? I can't figure out the Carly thing right now, but I can go back and help my town and make a difference, which I love. Mm -hmm. One last thing I got to say on that front, I have absolutely fallen in love with the way Anthony Mackie is playing Sam Wilson in this show. Sam Wilson, to me, in all the other iterations we had gotten of him, was kind of like that sidekick, jokey, like always had to be funny kind of guy. And it's not that I disliked that, but there was something about that that I was kind of just like not that interested in for some reason. I just, it never really Mm -hmm. was a character that I really cared about. But they have grown his maturity level in this to where he's gone from the goofy guy to, like, the crazy voice of reason, counselor, good man. Mm -hmm. And I very much have enjoyed that. Which, two things there. One, did you notice that Zemo explicitly compares him to Steve Rogers? Right. Like we talked about last episode, which I liked. And again, like we talked about last episode, uh, you brought up the kind of going back to the counseling version of Sam that we saw in Winter Soldier. And yeah, I feel like that is a side of him that we haven't really seen explored since that movie. And and in some ways, I don't like I don't see that as a flaw because I think that 
you know, this, what we're finally getting now in this episode puts so much of what we've seen before with Sam into its proper context, which is he went from someone that felt very comfortable in his world, and we even get some conversations in Winter Soldier to that effect, to someone who, you know, like he says in Age of Ultron, like, avenging is your world, your world is crazy. And he always probably sees himself as being somewhat on the outskirts of that um, and just like clearly kind of outclassed in terms of just straight up power level, um, you know, to, to speak your language. I think now, yeah, like now it's, it's, we're seeing the real strength of Sam comes from that part of him that worked at the VA. And I like even just seeing how much the show up until now, and even maybe some of what, what we've talked about and certain things not feeling totally natural and things feeling forced, like, uh, you know, you could say some of that is just an issue with the show. Maybe a more charitable reading of that is that, like, in the same way that Wanda, for the first chunk of WandaVision, is very kind of lost feeling and can't quite figure out who she is, and in that show that manifests as her playing all these different versions of, like, the housewife – um, and trying on all of these kind of different personalities. Here, I think we've seen Sam trying to figure out exactly not just who he is without Steve Rogers, but just kind of who who he is and what he brings to the table. And I think that's what's so powerful about this ending is, yeah, it's like he is he's settling in to exactly like what he can can bring that no one else can. Like what what Sam Wilson has to offer the MCU that no mm. other character does. Preach. And what he has to offer is specifically shown in that conversation with Bucky. Didn't yeah. you love that? I, I, yeah, again, so I good. love that we're seeing this counseling side of him. But that's finally the answer to the therapy stuff that they joked about in episode one or whatever, mm-hmm. where they wouldn't do it. They finally went there, where Bucky voiced his concerns about his nightmares and about how the shield was family to him and how it still sucks having Steve gone. And then Sam says he's gone though. Like, right. So it doesn't matter what Steve thought. Yeah. And then you got to stop looking for other people to tell you who you are is exactly the word that Bucky needs to hear. Like Mm -hmm. you're a good dude, Buck. You just need to be yourself at this point, man. Yeah. Well, and, and Bucky having his own realization you know, and I think part of that is kind of watching the kids play with the shield and and being able to tell Sam, you know, like when Steve gave you that, like neither of us understood what it would be like for a black man to be handed the shield. And that's something we talked about several episodes ago, but like for Bucky to be able to, to not just have that realization, but communicate that just, yeah, it does. You're right. It feels earned. Like it feels like we've watched them each kind of go from a place of a lot of confusion um, to sort of coming to this this place of understanding, uh, like self-understanding and, and mutual understanding. Yeah. My three nitpicks of this episode uh-huh. that I'm bother me a little bit. I'm curious if these are mine. Okay, I love it. I bet they are. First of all, tone it down on the slow-mo shots with sunsets in the background and kind of slightly cheesy music playing like uh-huh. like guys the MCU has done so good at not doing that stuff since like Thor 1 a couple of them I'm okay with but like the one of Bucky walking to the boat 
a couple of Sam working out, it's like, I get that he's training and I love it. Just, it's a little cheesy in the way you're doing the shots. The second thing is the theme that Henry Jackman made for the show at times with like the cheesy guitar just doesn't work for me in him. Yeah. Like I don't mind it as like the outro credit at all. And I don't mind that he's trying, what he's trying to do people for you non-music people out there, what he's trying to do is make it kind of like Louisiana Southern. So it's got like a distorted guitar, the organ, very like that culture feeling. And I totally get that. It's just a little cheesy. Like he needs a different guitar tone. First of all, we got to talk about that as a guitar player. (laughs) We need to talk about that, but also it just doesn't fully work, especially paired with the slow-mo shots. So those are my two nitpicks. And my third nitpick is, and this sounds like I'm joking and I could make this a joke, but I'm actually kind of serious about this. When Spider-Man says that shield does not obey the law of physics at all. (laughs) Right. Like I get that. It's always kind of a running joke that there's just this practical thing. That's not explained in how the shield operates, Uh but why do they play into it so much here? Like it's like it's like before they kind of gave us a couple throws of the shoe. We're like, ah, that wouldn't really work, but okay. And then right. all of a sudden, here it's like, here's ten minutes of throws that wouldn't happen in real life. So much of the show has been realistic, so it's frustrating to me that they don't have some answer on why the shield behaves that way. Like first of all, if the trees were padded, the shield definitely would not bounce off. Much less did, bounce off back that. to them. Much less. He's hitting the tree, the tree every time with his throw. I want everyone right now to pause this podcast, go outside, take like a garbage lid, and see how many times you can actually hit a tree as not a super soldier, <laughs> and then much less see what happens if it bounces back to you or not. It doesn't. Right. Now, here's the dumb thing. I feel like it's so easily explainable with Steve Rogers by like put like some kind of magnetic device on his arm that says like that's how it comes back to him. Which he has in Age of Ultron. And that makes so much sense. But Sam doesn't have that here. And on top of that, he's catching it a lot of times with his arms through the bands. So not only is it bouncing back, he's putting his arm through the little holder to hold it. And I get that it's a dumb thing to nitpick, but why why not go the extra mile and make some explanation for that? Like the one that bothered me the most. The one that (laughs) the one that bothered me the most was the last throw where he hits the dock pole. Uh-huh. I was like, if you miss that, does the shield sink in the water? Do you have to dive down there for it? Like, I just... <laughs> so I, I will, you Listen, know, I Robbie, will Robbie, say, I'm joking, but do you know what I'm talking about? I'm no, no, totally. I think I think the important thing, and this is what will make it really interesting, um, given that, you know, John Walker is making his own shield, which we saw, which also a little bit of another... Iron Man one. Uh, which shout out you there. need. You need to go to our Twitter, the FFW podcast, and see what I retweeted. Oh, all I these saw memes, the, I saw all that. the memes of John Walker. Next episode, this homemade shield. <laughs> He's like, it's just. But well, my my point being, I think a lot of it could be explained by the fact that it's vibranium, and so I think like even even Spider Man's comment there, he would. He would say that doesn't obey the laws of physics as he knows them, with the understanding being that like he would not be familiar with the way vibranium works. And okay, vibranium then give me is, a little bit of effort to explain that. Then. No, sure. Give I mean, me a I, I think bit. it's it's probably something of a trump card. Uh, you know, sort of like what we've talked about with Loki, where it's like, oh well, he's you know got a mischief, so that means he can literally do anything. 
<laughs> like, right, and I magic. didn't like it there either. I know, right. I didn't like I re- it there yeah. either. And But I, I do think that's probably part of what's, like, I think it's, because we do know it's something to do with the, the I would think, the fact that, like, um, like there's no, like, you know, it absorbs vibration. So you can imagine, like, that that would change the way that it's, like, hitting off of things and the way that, like, a spin would affect it. Obviously, this is still ridiculous if you get outside of superhero world, but I would guess that's the kind of explanation that they would give us. If someone wants to, I'm not inviting anyone. Normally, I invite people to write in and correct us. I'm not inviting you right now to explain to me that that explanation is not scientifically valid because I get that. (sighs) But I just think within the MCU context, that's, that's probably what they have in mind. The magnetic device on the hand is the easiest answer ever because then I'll buy that you're hitting the trees, but that makes sense why you can like retract it like a boomerang immediately. It's not a boomerang. It's a circle. And I think it's actually really frustrating to me because Marvel is so good with the details usually on everything. They're so good. And then with this, for some reason, why don't they try some effort to explain it? Well, eh, anyways, maybe end of rant. Maybe we. I, I, who knows? Maybe we will get something like that because I think that the last thing we. Well, I say that before. I, I do want to talk about what's in the box. Um, but before oh, we absolutely. get to the box, uh, what's in the box? Uh, I do. Want <laughs> That's to, what I was thinking too. <laughs> I do want to talk about um, that movie the, bothers me so much. Keep, keep man, going. That that uh, final scene with Carly. And Batrock, because uh, I thought this is where you were gonna go and with Dovich. the nitpicks. Um, and Dovich, yeah. Uh, this this whole scene, kind of starting with the council, with you know, like the senators and whoever else is there, um, and then also like a little bit the moment when everyone like gets the signal on their phone and stands up. That like. Just to me, this this episode still by far my favorite. I loved it. That felt like the one slightly clunky part here. Um, It's interesting because the episode was so much better than some of the other episodes in a lot of the ways we've already talked about. And yet this episode had like three or four little cheesy hangups for me that some of the others didn't. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, like logistically, can you just like (laughs) What exactly was going on there? Like, why was it that everyone was sitting in Central Park, like, separately, and then she, like, sends the phone signal out, and then the, like, bird call thing? Like, didn't it all feel like like three steps too many? Yes, it does. I would say logistically, the answer is they're so undercover. The point is that, like, at any moment, they could be summoned and ready to attack, and it's it's way more people than you're even thinking that's the moment it's like it's uh, it's almost everyone in the park but right. they're all just supposed to lay low because i don't even think most of them are super soldiers they're just people but uh-huh. they're laying low until they have to act and logistically it is believable that they could have like a network on their phones that's not sure. crazy no, where they no, are totally. summoned um so i get i get it yeah it was a little clunky it didn't bother me i i do like however how they're setting up a final showdown with the, right. And also with the credit scene, the mid-credit scene, which I hope everyone stayed and watched, mm-hmm. of John Walker making his own shield. So you're kind of going to have this, okay, Bucky and Sam reuniting for this fight. John Walker has his own agenda, and Batroc has his own agenda. But uh-huh. then also Carly's mission, 
uh-huh. of taking down the GRC. I do like this final showdown that it's setting up. I hope we have enough time to really flesh it out next episode and right. it doesn't feel rushed like the WandaVision finale did just ever so slightly, how uh-huh. it kind of just escalated so quickly. And then one last thing to add, I did like that Dovich was second-guessing her moves there. Yeah. He was like, yeah. so is that a dynamic? Is there a dynamic of some of her people turning on her because they're uncomfortable with what's happening? I I do like, yeah, I like that, that Dovich... He's sort of becoming the voice of reason for her in a similar way to what Hoskins was for Walker. And so I think it's Ooh, a, interesting. It's a, it, yeah, it's becoming a good way for us to kind of, you know, because, again, I, I don't obviously they're they're different um, in terms of ideologies. But I will be curious to see like we've been getting steadily like he's been commenting on her getting more and more aggressive and more intense in the tactics that she's using. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll be curious to see like, if there's a moment when he finally breaks with that, when he's just like not willing to, to go down that road. Uh, obviously, yeah, I, I, we also have to talk about here, the Batrock, Sharon Carter connection and how that is going to be resolved with her being involved with, yeah. Like what is her agenda to, to your point earlier? Like, is, is it is she just pulling strings because she's in a position to, or does she have like a specific outcome and how is she involved in that, you know, kind of failed mission by Batrock at the beginning when they talk about him losing all this money? Cause th- doesn't she say, if you just listened to me in the first place, you wouldn't have wound up in an Algerian prison. Right. So, I, and so then, maybe that, maybe Sharon is one of the ties back to the first mission, the very right. first one. And then finally, uh, you know, is Contessa or, or Val uh, involved in this somehow in terms of like, I mean, she seems like she's something of an insider. And we know that someone, you know, that Carly somehow got inside to the point where she could have someone, you know, do whatever they did there at the end to make everything go red inside the council meeting. I don't know that there's any clue as to like <laughs> dun, what dun, that dun, actually dun, did. Dun. Um, but uh, it yeah. shut down their meeting. Robbie, would you stop making fun of that last scene, please? <laughs> Golly, I'm the one defending. What is, what has happened here? Um, just, and then, it, you know, yeah. I think it's important for our audience to know if you don't follow the comics like me, there is a lot of online chatter and I'm getting a lot of messages about this potential Thunderbolts team, which to my knowledge is some kind of dark Avengers vibe of some sort. And, and the reason people are bringing that up is because we're now introduced to Val and Zemo and Mm Batrock and Sharon. And like, could they be setting up that thing? I don't have an answer. Robbie doesn't have an answer. And if you get too far into it, you're going to get into that speculation territory. But there is something like that that could be potentially going on with all these characters kind of coming back together. For sure. And and I do know that there have there's been some some speculation that this show specifically is supposed to give rise to a couple of new properties uh, and projects. So I yeah I could see that. I could definitely see a Thunderbolts thing, um, and there have been several different iterations of that. So I, I, I do think, as a word of caution 
to see certain characters that have been on the Thunderbolts and to assume that that means something is a little tricky because some of the, again, like there have just been really different, fairly uh, well-known versions of that team. But also it makes sense because... Remember, this show was originally supposed to be the first thing we got, so it would make sense that they were starting to implement characters that were going to be around. True, and like more what than you're even saying, WandaVision. Some, some like long-term villains that could kind of be going in the background, which is what you and I have always said that we wanted. Right, and I use the word villains, like you just said, kind of loosely, because you know it's more just people with gray area. I don't know right. how dark they're going to be. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see Sharon becoming like a villain in the sense that right. she gets like super powered, and the Avengers have to take her out, like kill her. No, for sure. Maybe, I mean, but that's not what I'm seeing. You know what I'm saying? I, I think it's important to know, yeah, that the Thunderbolts is a it's it's a different thing than the Dark Avengers. Although there is a point in which Norman Osborn heads up both of those groups. Um, my and, man, my man, and the Dark Avengers series that we're talking about, like that team is kind of born from the Thunderbolts. But whereas the Thunderbolts specifically is like, it's sort of like a suicide squad type thing where it's villains or former villains that are kind of coming Worst together. Worst movie I've ever seen in my whole life. Worst to, movie I've ever seen. <laughs> coming together to, well, I was hopefully, I, I'm, I'm sort of projecting what I hope the new Suicide Squad is going to be. With <laughs> I knew um, I'd get you on a tangent. It is the worst movie I've ever seen. Keep going, it was so It was so bad. It was so bad. Anyway, but so it's like the idea is that it's, yeah, you're right, kind of morally gray characters, not necessarily operating as villains, um, whereas the Dark Avengers sort of start that way, but the idea more is that they're just serving kind of Norman Osborn's own more nefarious means, but hiding behind the um, the mantle of the the Avengers. Again, it's more complicated than that, and, and there's a little bit of of that sort of uh, acting heroically thing in there too. But speaking of that whole era, what I was about to get into is like in the comics, the Dark Avengers stuff that we've talked about um, being interested in seeing comes right out of the Secret Invasion event. Um, and so that's all sort of towards the tail end of that long Bendis New Avengers saga that starts after uh, Disassembled in House of M that we already talked about ad nauseum with WandaVision. My point in bringing up Secret Invasion is um, people are already kind of chattering about the fact that Madame Hydra was one of the integral pieces to the way Secret Invasion plays out in the comics. Um, I don't know that that matters. I think that people, uh, you know, there's a tendency to to kind of see anything and make it into what you want the next story to look like uh, because in the comics, that character's been around for a while and then like a lot of characters, you find out that in this specific context, she had actually been one of the scroll like sleeper agents. I don't know if that quite works as well here since we've just now been introduced to the character, right? Like to have a character introduced and then you find out she's been a scroll all along wouldn't necessarily have the same weight as a decades old character showing up as a, as a scroll, but I, it has also, to be I just said. don't, I don't think they're going to do that just because that's already, that'd be the third time in the last three things we've seen. 
that's like, oh, and here's actually a scroll. And plus, <laughs> right. the scroll thing has already been twisted because they weren't bad people, right. which is a huge difference. Anyways, I don't think they're doing that. Okay, Robbie, really quickly, last thing I need to get into. Last but certainly not least in this case, I am so freaking jazzed to see what this Wakandan Captain America Falcon Wing type suit that's about to emerge is. Yes. Are you kidding me? Oh my god. And gosh. just I love the imagery of his suit being made by Wakanda. I never thought of that. Yeah. And then this is about to get absolutely insane. I don't think this will ever happen. I don't want this, but I just love there being a tie there. Yeah. Especially now knowing T'Challa's gone. I don't think I don't think Wakanda would ever turn over the role of Black Panther to an outsider like Sam, but I just love there being a relationship there. So, dude, there was a lot going through my head when he's looking at that box. What's in the box? And I really wanted to know what was in the box. (laughs) Man, one, I love that it's sort of like WandaVision where we're given like a a hint at this version of of the costume that's going to show up in the finale. The fact that the box sort of has this like White color scheme makes me think that it's going to look similar to the costume that I think we've posted before on the Instagram um, from the the comics, which I love because it's just a really unique Captain America look. But also, like, to your point, that's how, like, I never even thought of that. But, like, in terms of w- one of the questions around around Sam being Cap is, you know, the fact that he obviously isn't a super soldier. And so at the end of the day, like, it's just going to be a very, he's going to be coming to the role with less power inherently. But if he has a vibranium suit, like, that's a, like, you're, that, that in and of itself. Absolutely. That's where my mind went right away, too. Is that now, you know, I've, I've talked so many times about how he's outclassed power level wise. And instead of him taking a serum to get on everyone's level, I love that instead it's going to be a vibranium suit or right. something like that. Because now that answers the question for me a yeah, little bit. Exactly. Well, and and to say, like, I think the reason I hinted this earlier is that you know, maybe that has a, a little bit of what you're talking about in terms of, like, some sort of – maybe there's an explanation in the way the suit works to make some of the shield throws, even though we already saw a lot without the suit. But maybe, the, like, in the same way that Cap had that – in Age of Ultron, I think what's really cool about this is that, like, to have, you know, a custom-made Captain America Falcon suit, if if it does, you know, I, I hope that it has wings. I would imagine that it will. Um, made, yeah, by Wakanda. Like, not only is that cool on, like, a geeky, like, power level note, but also, what, like what you said, the the idea behind that, like, the symbolism of it being Wakanda, like this noble African nation that has never experienced the kind of stuff that we're talking about, like Sam having experienced and Isaiah having experienced. Like there's just a power to that, like whenever he's stepping into this role and like what we're talking about redefining it. Um, I just, yeah, what a, like what a fun and totally different and totally unexpected take like I cannot wait to see the the reveal of what is in that box guys what do you think though this is a crazy episode like seriously hit us up we'd love to hear your theories we asked you guys some questions on this let us know what you think about that also as a reminder do not forget that this week is mega week episode today 
AMA tomorrow, special episode Thursday, finale viewing party Friday. Cannot wait to do that with all of you guys. At the FFW Podcast on social media, the FFWpodcast.com for any other messages. And subscribe, rate, review, listen, tell your friends, spread the word. Let's blow this thing up. We are so grateful for you guys. And so we'll see you right here next time on Friends From Work. Friends From Work.